0: Good evening, children, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. Kit, would you tell us a little bit more about the American Friend Institute?
1: The American Friend Institute is an organization that honors the heritage of the motion picture arts. We produce educational podcasts about film, including Adam Sandler, A Life in Pictures, and have curated a jury-selected list of the 100 greatest films of all time. The American Friend Institute was founded out of our mutual disgust that The Exorcist was not on the American film, Institute lists, film Institute's list of the 100 greatest movies. It's also not on our list because no one nominated it. I think we all probably thought somebody else would do it. So no Exorcist, but Tommy Boy did squeak in at number 100. The American Friend Institute, the only organization for cinema excellence that thinks Doug Liman's Go is a better movie than Citizen Kane.
0: I am your host, Mike Keller, and I am joined today by my good friends and co hosts, Kit and Andrew. Uh, Tonight, we are kicking off Kit's actor director triple feature with 1955's Night of the Hunter, directed by Charles Lawton and starring Robert Mitchum, Shelley Winters, and Lillian Gish. Uh, Also, since we're talking about actors. Sally Jane Bruce, who played Pearl, I looked her up, and she
2: is still alive. Uh, so Yay!
1: I thought
2: that was... This the, movie came out, what, 1955? 55, So she yeah. would have been, so like,
1: she, born in 1950? Yeah, probably. Something. She's
0: something like that. So the, the the boy, I can't remember what his name was, but he, John, he um had just passed away recently. But uh, I was surprised to see that. Well, I wasn't really surprised to see. But it was like, yeah, that actually... That yeah, my out.
2: grandparents we born in like the forties.
0: Yeah. So. No. Yeah. It makes sense. I just. I think I also think of this movie as a movie from the forties, and so there was some surprise in that. Uh, people from it still being alive. Plus, most of the movies I watch, everybody's dead anyways. Even the stuff from the eighties, everybody had a hard time.
2: Is it because there's a guy on a horse in it?
0: Yeah. 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 I didn't even know they had horses back in the, as mm-hmm. late as the 50s Mm-hmm. Uh, um. Anyhow, we usually start off. Uh, I ask. Uh, Had either of you, had you seen this film before? Nope. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and I guess Kit, too. So, tell us uh, what made you pick this one or maybe kind of introduce your triple a little for us. And then we'll get to Andrew's Um, first impression.
1: Um, I would say that this triple is just mostly a way for me to make Andrew watch Big Night finally. Um... (laughs) And I was like, okay, what's unique about Big Night? Oh, the Tooch directed it, so I'll do other movies that are directed by actors. Um, And um, this movie, oh, fudge, I just closed it, hold on. This movie is also on the American Friend Institute's list of the 100 greatest movies, and I'm trying to look up what number it is i think it's pretty high up there oh yes number seven number seven on the american Friends list and it's kind of silly that then andrew hasn't seen it yeah um and um
0: i think you and i just must have put it very high on our list i think yeah yeah it is
1: Um, one of my favorites i don't see how else it would get yeah anyway um yeah and it's a great a really really good movie that i thought would be fun to watch
0: indeed um, Andrew, uh, as a first time viewer, oh yeah, I also, I had seen this movie. I've seen this movie many times at this point. This is one of my favorite mm-hmm. movies of all time, all time. Um, so as a first time viewer, what did you think, Andrew?
2: Um, well, I thought it was really good. Um, Robert Mitchum is awesome. Uh, definitely got some, um, uh, Cape Fear vibes. I definitely see mm-hmm. why, why he got <laughs> Cast in that, uh, I'm sure it had something to do with this. Um, it's very, very pretty to look at. Uh, I like the ch- the child- the kid actors a lot, which <laughs> is something that's you know kind of spotty with movies. I think, especially when you have kids this young. Um, but I like the kid who played John a lot. Um, yeah, I don't know. It had rich characters. It was very pretty. The 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 indoor sets looked awesome it reminded me of uh, sleepy hollow a little bit like yep. specifically the sure. um like super stylized battle scenes that you can like barely tell what's going on like when they're in the boat at night and then he's on the horse um mm-hmm. which was a little person on a mule um but uh or a pony but um anyway i just thought that forced perspective stuff was very cool looking and um it didn't look necessarily like fantastical but just shy of real um, yeah I I was just reading I did I I, uh, I didn't know this but this is a true ish story um, so that's kind of cool hmm. I mean no it's sad actually it's very sad but sort of cool um one thing that I thought was interesting is I had not seen this movie but halfway through it I was like this is very familiar and then I realized that uh, it was... Loosely remade. Um, have you seen Undertow, Mike? No, I've never seen it. It's uh, Jamie Bell, um, Lucas. What's his, what's his name? Josh Lucas. Uh, it's pretty much. It came out in two thousand four. It's a um, oh god, what's his name? Oh, it's a David Gordon Green movie. Okay. Um, anyway huh it's 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 this is it's the same movie essentially Okay. um there's a few differences but yeah it's a little bit bleaker i think than this and this is pr- pretty bleak at times yeah but, uh yeah anyway i just thought that was interesting that so is yeah. Person, yeah 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 I, I thought it was great i loved it cool great
0: very nice um kit i guess what's your history with the movie
1: I remember when I was when I saw it probably like high school um and I just I love um like I think I like pretty much anything that borrows from like German expressionism um I might have watched it I don't remember I probably saw stills from it and decided to watch it um but I also thought it was interesting that like Charles Law never directed another movie because
2: He's this so wasn't good received
1: it. well Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, that's like a this was not received. Well, no, yeah. Oh, just like because of uh, like decency or some shit.
1: No, I think that was a little bit of it. I think there were there were some like protests about the themes and everything. um, But I think mostly it was just like it's an art movie and um, like Truffaut loves this movie. So Hollywood didn't like Americans didn't really
0: yeah it's several critics that looked like uh from the time they said they felt that it was pretentious uh and I could kind of see that and I, I think that, that the way it just reading the, the little Wikipedia section for the reception um it looks like it ran on television and then people watched it as got more exposure to it as children and then obviously it's I mean it's a movie made for kids in a way um and so yeah mm-hmm. that I think it resonated with them the way it was supposed to resonate with wider audiences and then it became acknowledged as the classic that it it is today.
1: Um, and very it's very interesting that he like you say like it's for children and children are the ones who like it's very successfully for children yeah. in terms of its history.
0: Yeah, definitely. Cuz it does it seems to have like the the boomer critics are the ones that lifted it to classic status, and it seems like the critics of the time and I, I think there were some good reviews of the time, but I think people mm-hmm. felt that it was you know Lawton was making this for the stage or it was too much of a throwback to silent films, or you know they felt that it was pretentious, i guess um and uh the, I, I don't, think also I don't get people
2: it.
0: yeah, well, and i it's just you know uh also I think some people were like felt like it didn't live up to the book, I think was what one critic said. OK, so but yeah, it is it's it's weird whenever you hear that about a movie that, you know, when you like I watched this for the first time in high school, but it was introduced to me by my dad. I watched it with him and he was like, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. And so, you know, perhaps if I was like a 55 year old critic watching this in, uh or 1955 that, yeah, I'd be like, oh, this is, you know, this isn't as good as the silence that it's trying to mimic or.
2: But kind of there's thing. there's like, you know, there are movies that I kind of get like why they had a like a cultural reappraisal or whatever. Yeah. Uh but then there are, it's there are, I think I feel like very few of you know very few movies that started out with people rejecting it became like AFI top 100 movies. Yeah. Well, something yeah. like that. Uh, like that's strange. That's strange because like yeah. you think about, you know, I think about like movies like Blade Runner or whatever, you know, you it it became what it is now, because it was recut five times, you know. Right. Um. So it's yeah, that's very strange to me. Yeah. It be it to is. me this is like it's like, I mean, in terms of how this movie existed in my mind before seeing it, it's like up there with, you know, not you know, it's 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 like below, but in the same realm as like Casablanca and and yeah. and Citizen well, Kane and all these kind of like. You know these big classics that, you know, you'd expect uh, everyone to just love. So, Once it's the
1: same cinematographer as Magnificent Ambersons.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and this also has the oh, my my favorite trivia about this is that it has the only iris shot that had been in a movie since Magnificent Ambersons, and it's just the same guy continuing <laughs> to put irises in movies.
0: When was Magnificent Ambersons? Uh, when did that come out? Like. Forty... Forty-five? Forty-four, okay. Or maybe forty-five. Yeah, it's really weird, because for whatever reason, this is a movie from the forties, like, in my memory. And so reading through all this, like, having to... I had to keep reminding myself it was fifty-five. Um, but on that note, though, you were talking about how highly revered it is. I think it's, like, the uh, Cahier du Cinema, the French, um, you know, film magazine. Or I don't know what they call it. Journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said it is... The second in 2008, it was ranked as the second best film of all time behind Citizen Kane. So, yeah, for it to go from nobody liked it <laughs> to that um, is and I mean, But it's great. And it's it is. I agree with you. It's bizarre because you watch this. I watch this and it seems like so purely perfect, like as a movie. It's just like this is mm-hmm. exactly what a great movie feels like, you know, uh, but without feeling like, you know, it's trying to be a great, you know, Oscar movie or something. Anyhow, but Yeah. So uh let's see here. We mentioned I think
1: It's weird what a apparently strange idea it was to try to like use techniques of silent film, I think. Yeah. That like in 1955 when obviously like Lily Gish doesn't even look that old in this movie. Right. Like it was such like a re like there were many people living, I guess, who still remembered <laughs> silent films yeah and that was more almost more alienating to audience then than it is now to us who've seen i don't know there's like five silent movies that anybody watches and that's yeah. pretty much it
0: yeah and i don't know like what the equivalent of that because I, I was kind of trying to think about that before the episode like you know so This was 55 silent movies kind of largely stopped around 1930. So like 25 years ago would be 1995. So like, you know, it's the people who are alive and the people who are alive now in 2020 uh, and are aware of like filmmaking techniques from 1995 and before. Well, maybe it doesn't seem like an overwhelming portion of the film audience. Like when you watch, you know, like the newer popular movies, it's like, that's me. That's all of us. That's everybody that's older than us. So it seems like unless people just decided like silent movie techniques were terrible, it's old fashioned, we want the new hot thing with the color pictures and stuff. I don't understand something that's not that old of a technique being (laughs) just like critics being like, no, you know, sorry, go ahead.
2: No, I was gonna say, I think it's might be something like if somebody made a good movie now and then. Po- and then the studio made them post-convert it to 3D, and then everybody got mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> and they hated the movie because of it. Yeah. I don't know. That's the closest I can think of.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's unfortunate. But fortunately, it's. I think within his lifetime, it came to be somewhat better regarded. I don't know when Lawton died, though.
1: He died in 62.
0: Oh, maybe Oh, not. shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Jesus. Yeah. Well... Uh, he lives on in our hearts. <laughs> that is
2: really that is really depressing though to think that yeah. we missed out on a bunch of like very very, very good movies because yeah.
1: seven years of Charles Lawton movies. Yeah, yeah,
2: I mean maybe that's two or three more, but still, Jesus. It's
0: funny too, like how much he pops up in. So like my first awareness of Charles Lawton was he's the director of Night of the Hunter, uh, and then as I've watched older movies and stuff, like he's in several of my favorite. Like, well, mm-hmm. I don't know if Jamaica is a favorite. But, like, the old Dark House, the James Whale movie that we've talked about, uh, Island of Lost Souls, uh, which I just think is a really good one. And then, I don't know, I see him pop up in a lot of stuff. Um, And uh, so, yeah. He's
1: a really, really... He's very Orson Wellesian, I think, in that he's, like, an extremely good actor. Yeah. And then possibly an even better director who got totally fucking screwed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Lots of parallels. Um... (laughs)
2: But yeah. Well, okay, what else
0: we got here? I so, d- I have some Oh.
2: No, no, go ahead. I was going to uh, I was just going to say just I'll I'll cut this out, but um I decided to take a chance and not take notes and then we didn't end up recording, so I'm like trying oh. to I'm doing my uh-huh. best.
0: Oh yeah, you're fine. No, and I watched it a week ago as well, but Sorry. I... No, no okay. it's You know what
2: I, uh... kit? You know what kit? <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> You know, I haven't wanted to say something to you about this all week. I cannot believe you had the nerve. (laughs) The nerve to do this to us.
0: Yeah. I also, uh, I second Andrew. I also Mm. can't believe it. Just want to say. I I try not to be an angry man, but you can see over here I'm just boiling over.
1: I can't smell anything.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That's punishment enough
1: yeah that's that works
2: what about taste
1: um nothing i i mean taste is greatly diminished as well Hmm.
2: that's you know what okay that's great
0: i feel like that's just punishment for what you've done to us yeah
1: yeah (laughs) i may never smell again
0: you'll smell again i think i think i always say you're my smelliest friend. So I, I, I can't imagine
2: times no like these. We learn to smell.
1: Again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, is it how, how does it hurt real bad? I've heard people say it hurts your lungs a lot.
1: I doesn't hurt my lungs at all. That's my I've had been my lungs have been entirely unaffected. Hmm. I would say, um, I had no fever at all. Um, so I don't know. This is an extremely mild case. And yet like, very uh wiped out and just like body hurt all over (laughs) other than everything other than my lungs um yeah and uh it does feel like it feels like the reason i can't smell anything is because my nose is so dry like which it has been for like two weeks, where like that also hurts kind of. It's like yeah. it feels like someone like burned off all the hair in my nostrils or something. Shoot some
2: water up there, see what happens.
1: <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I'll do that.
2: Just get a glass of water and put two straws in it and then just position or a bottle even and just position it next to you and just whenever you feel dry, just take a sniff. So here's something interesting. Did you know this <laughs> mo- did you know this movie was remade in nineteen ninety one?
0: I did not know, yep, and apparently Paris. also in 2004 or whatever
2: he said. Wow, well, yeah, that's that's not an official remake, but yeah, right. it's it's pretty close. Um, yeah, it's uh, it stars Richard Chamberlain, and uh, hmm. the director hmm. is David Green, and then Undertow's directed by David Gordon Green. Strange.
1: Whoa. Colises. And Charles Lawton's name was Charles Green Lawton. No, it
2: wasn't. You're lying. <laughs> <laughs> You're lying. I would. Lo- I would seriously think that was nuts. That would be. That would be fucking crazy.
0: Uh, um. Okay. Let's get it together here. I, uh, I've We're got a couple struggling. notes. I'll just go through the things I noted, mostly things right. that I just like about the movie. Um, Let's hear it. Uh, I like the scene where the kids are singing ding Hang Hung." Uh,
1: They're so mean.
0: Yes. That's well, so
1: mean.
0: Andrew said it really well. I can't remember exactly what he said. Just shy of reality. Is that what he said?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So like that's kind of. I mean the movie. I don't know. Is strange going into that I suppose. But like. Um, it's. It feels very composed. Everything feels very composed. But it doesn't feel like composed. Into unreality or whatever you would say. But like. Uh, yeah. I don't know. And I like that because it starts to kind of set that. And I also read like. That part of the reason that they designed the sets and things like the the way that they did was uh, Lawton wanted to emphasize like from as the perspective of a child is certain things mm-hmm. just are really like a neon sign it catches all of your attention and so they made that a more overwhelming part of their set, um, because again they're making it for kids. Um,
2: I so, get yeah. I get that yeah yeah there's yeah. that there's that scene where they go and hide in the barn and he's kind of mm-hmm. peeking out and he can see him in the distance and that feels yeah that feels very in line with what you're saying. Yeah. That's interesting just, like, to have the whole movie kind of
0: composed that way. It makes for a great movie, but, and it's, it makes it for obviously a movie that was very effective with kids, but it also plays very well with like wanting to recreate the visual, you know, the imagery of silent films and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But that scene in particular, it's just, it, I think it's as kids singing in a group is always kind of spooky I and mean, they're singing about hanging, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so I like that. Um, uh, really like the scene in when they're in the bedroom at night and like the lamplight is on out in the street and then you see like they're talking inside and you see his shadow just cast on their bedroom wall. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the scene with the mom dead in the car underwater. That's like just an image that, you know, I've, you know, burned that's, in your head.
2: That's so good. You know what that reminded me of? That reminded me of mm-hmm. um, when they finally show the body and what lies beneath. I felt like just the oh, way yeah. the hair was moving, and just mm-hmm. a body in a car too, just the way it's yeah. sitting huh. there. I, yeah, I
1: wonder if that's a reference. Oh, it's I gotta be.
2: I bet, I bet it is. I bet yeah. it is. Because I, I, I was just, because th- I, I I did think that I was like, is it a reference though? Because you know, it's it could be just uh, a thing that he chose to do, and it might not have anything to do with it. But um, no, I think it is because I think like the way the light hits too. It's very. Sh- I mean, it's. Yeah, it it's not as well lit. Like it's like it's not like that a spotlight over the car, but it. Yeah. I do get the feeling that it was it was influenced by it. hmm
0: Um, I noted.
2: Uh, I really liked it when Pearl says,
0: "Can I have my supper, please?"
2: Uh, <laughs> that's that's how I ask my wife for dinner every night. <laughs> yeah. The
1: whole scene of her trying to get food from him too, when he's like sitting there with that huge meal. Yeah. And she's just like he's like holding a knife but she still tries to (laughs) like grab a piece of chicken she was so great i love her
0: yeah um (laughs) i like let's see the uh, oh so he chases him out to the river and he's you know kind of like wades into the water and he screams as the boat kind of spins off and gets away from him and then that whole sequence you know where she sings and then it's, like, the overhead shot of the bow, all that stuff on, like, the sound stages and stuff. Uh, that is, again, just one of my favorite
2: things that I've ever seen in a movie. Just that whole sequence is awesome. It's very scary. I will say I will say that. The movie is scarier than most movies from this time, yep. like, in terms of, like, how they feel to modern audiences. Yeah. Well, um, it,
0: it reminded me of Lynch, like, the way that... His scream is unusual, but it's unnerving because it's unusual, and then it yeah. blends into the way the music plays, and then it kind yeah. of softly moves into this kind of dream in, imagery and stuff. And um, but yeah, it's but, definitely it's very effective.
2: But the way that sequence is shot too is it's it's not, you know, it's not super wide, so you can't you don't have any sense of how far. I'm talking about when they're actually getting into the boat. You don't uh-huh. have any sense of how far Robert Mitchum is from them. Yeah. So it's like you're waiting for his hand to enter the frame and grab the boat, basically. Yeah. And then when he finally gets there, um, I mean, even after they kind of get away, there's that kind of overhead shot of them just drifting, and the girl is just like way too close to the edge of the boat. And I'm just waiting for him to like ah Yeah. Um so there's there's they're very good at that, I think. And and they do that several times, I think. Like even um yeah, later in the movie when he's just sitting out on the stump singing, like yeah, at so any creepy. point, at any point I'm waiting for him, to, and he I and mean, he ultimately does it. But um, yeah, yeah,
0: well, yeah, it's, and like then uh, the the girl brings out the lantern, so you lose sight of him behind the screen, and then mm-hmm. they turn out the light and he's gone. That
2: yes, like, that's yeah. scary. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. waiting for the light to go away and for his face <laughs> to be right there. Um, yeah, which yeah, I think <laughs> would be a thing. But um, the other thing too is I think establishing a character who's willing to kill children is mm-hmm. is is difficult to do and then once you've done it you kind of got you kind of got people in i think like people yeah. are, are on are, are are ready to be scared um i don't know i think it, like you've got like you know dogs babies children are sort of in the the uh the ranking for like untouchable yeah <laughs> things in movies so yeah uh yeah
0: yeah. Um, I guess last note. Well, yeah. So my dad will often jokingly blame things on gypsies in the night, and I wonder if he got that. <laughs> <movie>. <laughs> uh, um, just that, that guy funny. at the drugstore store. Yeah. He's like, yeah, hey, you're always on about your gypsies. Um, <laughs> then yeah, the final thing I had was that the switchblade. So he's watching the girl dance toward the beginning of the film, and um, mm-hmm. or like at the burlesque show or whatever it would be. And he the switch switchblade shoots through his jacket, and I think that seemed uh, you know it's pretty on the nose, but then it also was like I'm thinking like 1955, I think that would just have been on the cusp of like maybe too much. And then when I was reading about it on, uh, I guess on Wikipedia afterwards, I it did have some run-ins with like the boards of decency and uh, both because it's he's a preacher, so it, casting him as like an evil person is gonna ruffle feathers, but then also like that's very I don't know, phallic and uh, violence. Oh, because he's, he's getting a he's
2: getting a boner, but it's like a right. hate it's a hate
0: boner. Yes, yes, mm. I believe is what they were going for, but it could have yeah. just been an accident. and His knife, you know, malfunctioned, so uh, it's That's open true. for interpretation. But every anyways, was, every
2: every man has at least one hate boner in his life. <laughs> I remember mine. I remember, I'll never <laughs> yeah. forget my first. I um, remember yours too, dude.
0: <laughs> I was just so mad at you. You ate all my cookies. <laughs> That's
2: right.
0: <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, I don't I know. That's my notes Kit, do you... It, uh, what you got?
1: It's also... I think it's cool, too, that, like, so many... Um, like, Robert Mitchum Shelley, and Shelley Winters both say, like, this is their best movie. This is, like, the best acting they ever did. Yeah. Um, and they really liked working with... With Charles Law, and that's like another thing. And that he, the way they shot this is, they would he wouldn't cut. They just run until the film ran out, and they just would keep uh, acting. Very like theater director again, very Orson Wellesy as well. Um, And I also just I think my, I mean, I Robert Mitchum's like amazing in this movie, but I love Lily and Gish so much. Yeah, like her her performance is so so awesome and it was like so brilliant to cast her and it's also really weird because i think you that it seems very clear to me that he would have just had elsa lanchester play that character and elsa Lanchester is the one who said no but you should have lillian gish do it yeah <laughs> um which is really cool and just like it's interesting like we didn't you like why didn't anybody use her she was she's so great and it's such a i think in a way i think the hardest character in the movie because she's such a like weird like angelic i think she's a really big part of the movie working and i honestly think if elsa lanchester was in the role it would not work very well because elsa lanchester is so fucking weird i think she'd be kind of scary yeah (laughs) like in this role um whereas like lillian gish has that like purity about her yeah um
0: But Elsa Lanchester would be substantially younger than Lillian Gish? (sighs) I would have thought.
1: I don't even know if, but she would have looked younger probably. Let's see. Once Elsa Lanchester is 1902.
0: Is she really? Okay. So she's older than I really.
1: Yeah. Okay. Lillian Gish is
0: 1893. Oh, okay. So, I mean, within close enough. I was just thinking that she was a lot younger than that.
1: So Lillian Gish is like only in her early sixties, in this.
0: So she so she was born in eighteen ninety three. Yeah. So yeah. Right. Wow. So yeah, that's that is weird. She yeah, because she looks very I don't know more grandmotherly, which you know mm-hmm. could be grandma in your early sixties for sure. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I can't picture Lanchester either. Really.
1: I mean, they look similar, I suppose. But, God, such a good movie. It's also, I read about the thing about, like, making it look like a kid's movie, too, that, not a kid's movie, but a movie from a kid's perspective, that, like, the fences in the movies don't, like, don't encircle the house. Like, there's just, and, like, those neon signs aren't actually, because that stuck out to me before I read that, watching the movie this time, how it said, like, cosmetics and restaurant, like, right next to each other in neon, and I was like, what is this neon arrangement? Like, why would these two words be next to each other? And then I read that they did that on purpose where they didn't attach them to, like, anything in a way that made sense. And they didn't, like, the picket fences are there, but they're not doing the job that a fence would do. Mm-hmm. They're just, like, the icon of a picket fence because, like, that's what a child would see and remember.
0: Yeah, it's cool technique. I, uh, I, I've... Something I've been thinking about for like the last year or two. I mean, something I think about all the time is why do movies suck now, and how can movies become better again? Become <laughs> good again. Um, and I know that's an overgeneralization, everything, but you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like what we see with this movie is a really good story. So they've taken a book, uh, and they've adapted it for the screen with somebody who had a, you know, he had a, a film background, but he also had like a theater background, and mm-hmm. like I think that. For people my age and older, slightly older, that would be directing or younger, their familiarity with film only works against them for making actually good movies. And so, like, I think if you get people from the literary world, the theater world, and, you know, we've got Stanley Cortez in there, who's just a magnificent Mm. cinematographer. So he is your film guy, you know, and he's kind of, you know, with the director and with the writer and stuff, they're creating this sort of like combination of all arts into film and like that's I, I I'm i thinking that just that general familiarity greater familiarity people would have had with these other art forms is just why movies felt better more substantive longer lasting or something I don't know uh, in general that's interesting than they, they do now so I kind of so, wonder if
2: that would be a way to you so you're, you're sa- just cinema. to clarify you're saying that you know at this time movies were not as Like they weren't, they weren't the only thing influencing people making movies. Yes. Where, uh, and at, and at, and now, you know, you have all these people who grew up just watching all of these movies because Mm -hmm. they could get, it was easier to, maybe easier to go to the movies and movie theaters are on every corner now.
0: Okay. Yeah. When, I mean, you had your, my, my film education was going to the video store, going to the movie theater, like, you know, I, I've barely ever been to the theater and i'm sure plenty of people have and i know the theater is still a thing but right. just as far as like a cultural force i really don't think i don't know maybe that's not true because you still hear about like hamilton and you hear about like big broadway stuff but uh sort of i, I mean that's I like think, yeah
2: every occasionally yeah
1: i think there's something about theater people that they understand what's unique about movies because they do theater and like, cause like Orson Welles, Charles Lawton, Mike Nichols, like are all people who like, you know, were first time directors and made fucking classics immediately.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, like there's some reports from like the set of this movie that like Charles Lawton was like very insecure about his directing. He was willing to take, like advice from anyone and get anyone's input on the movie. That's awesome. Um, I don't think Orson Welles was like that. Mike Nichols wasn't like that, but like Michael, Mike Nichols, I can't remember what, but when he was going to do, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, he like called some friend and said, okay, so when the door opens, like, where does the camera go? (laughs) Like, like how come it doesn't hit the camera? (laughs) Um, Like he really didn't know how to make a movie, but I feel like as a result of that, they also recognize, like, oh, there's a bunch of shit you could do in movies that you could never do in theater. Mm -hmm. And they kind of use movies in the way... Like, there's an argument to be made that silent film is, you know, the truest (laughs) form of film Mm -hmm. because it's purely the visual and the camera. And that there's you know there's an argument to be made that like why would you make a movie that looks like real life or where emotions function in the same way as real life or you know why wouldn't you do it through the eyes of a child because you could and you you know you might as well do some do something talk about like this story in a way that a novel wouldn't or, you know, a radio play would like just embracing all of the weird shit that you can do with movies. Um Yeah. And I, I just think like theater directors. Really un- somehow like really understand that. But then at the same time, it's like. Martin Scorsese is only making movies through the lens of other movies. Yeah. Also, so.
2: Yeah, I don't think it works. It's not inevitable as a a blanket, but I think there's there's something to it. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember hearing something. I don't know if it's true, but I remember somebody telling me that they had somebody told me that they had read something about Cronenberg. This is a great source, by the way. Um, And (laughs) it was like, uh, you know, the the reason one of the reasons Cronenberg's movies are the way they are is because he wasn't really that interested in movies. Um, he has like, he's like actually not, or at least at, you know, when he started his career at the very least, he had not seen very many movies. Um, and so that kind of helped him, you know, focus inward more to create his sort of, uh, you know, his style. Anyway, Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting, but that just made me think of,
0: well, and I mean, Lynch as well, he comes out of like the kind of the fine arts world. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, and I he mean, and
2: he is interested in like, I mean, he paints, he makes music, he yeah, does yeah, yeah. a bunch of other weird shit. Yeah. Um. So, yeah,
0: I yeah. And I, I do. I agree. It's not like a blanket rule that this would make all movies better necessarily. But yeah, just that like because Kit has often kind of talked about how it's like all movies are about movies now. Like yeah. every movie is kind of either self-referential or it's referential of other movies in a way that kind of makes it feel like. I don't know. I don't know if you've said this, but just to when you talk about it, like the the movies that I think do that, it makes it feel like an object at a remove as opposed to something I'm really taking. Yeah. In, like I take in a story and get immersed. Well, stuff. I think, <laughs> think
1: it's true no matter Go what, ahead. like that's just true of art forms that like, like you create a language and then people use that language. And yeah. like, that's, that's how, that's how like, you know, classical music works as well. <laughs> like, um, But I think something that I've noticed, maybe just, like, I'm an old person now or something, but there's a particularly um, inelegant or ham-fisted way that it happens now where, particularly when it's, like, you can just have a series based on, like, a guy saw Back to the Future and, like here's a movie based on the fact that I've seen back to the future. Yeah. Like, I think it feels like, or I've seen gremlins and here's but, a movie.
2: But I also think <laughs> that we are more aware of uh, everything is so easily accessible now. You know, when I think about the things that Charles Lawton is referencing uh, with silent film, I mean, you said it yourself, there's like five silent films left. So, Mm-hmm. So now now I'm sympathizing with audiences who so, didn't like this in 55 more. Um, but, like, I think about, you know, I think about movies like, uh, like Moonlight. And, you know, he's pretty clearly pulling from one car wide, like, m- with a ton of those shots. And mm-hmm. there, you know, are a dozen video essays that call that out, you know, five minutes after the movie got made. And it's just, I think it's partially because everything is... <laughs> it's, it's everything's so present, you know, there's no, there's, you know, uh, 20 years difference between in the mood for love and moonlight is, I think a much shorter distance now than, you know, the 1930s to the 1950s in terms of like accessibility and just people being aware of things, you know, now we, you know, movies come out and we, we, we get to take them home six months later and watch them as many times as we want whereas in 1955 uh i mean did people like people had tvs but like barely yeah uh you know you saw a movie in the theater and maybe it you know the your 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 opportunity to see it again was if it was playing mm-hmm. you know because was was seeing it at the theater again uh and people did that but just like us you know and it depended on how long a movie would last. So a movie like Night of the Hunter, too, you know, you got to figure if people didn't like it, like, how long did that last in the theaters? Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I think there's something, too, It's like, Moonlight, all he says. I think of, like, because of this movie, like, Do the Right Thing, you know, he, mm-hmm. he's basically doing the speech from this movie. Um, and, and yet Do the Right Thing was, like, still now, I think, if you watch it for the first time, you're like, this is such an original movie. Like sure. and you watch this and it's like he's borrowing a bunch of techniques from silent film, but what you end up with is like there's no other movie that's like this. Yeah. Um I think Moonlight is similar, like even though he's borrowing from the things you watch and you're like, This is a very original vision, you know, mm-hmm. that this director has. And I think there's, you know, there's the movies like that where like they might be or the lighthouse or whatever. They might be the most like in the mind of that director, like they're just tr- kind of <laughs> trying to make a movie like other movies they've seen, but their, you know, originality. Cause I think citizen Kane is the same way. It's like now citizen Kane is like the er example of a movie, but at the time it was doing a lot of things that nobody had ever done in a movie before. Um, and it would have probably seemed very strange to audiences. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's like still very possible to, like, to have an original, in fact, I mean, it's the only way that uh, you have to have seen a movie to make a movie, I guess. <laughs> um, but there is just, you know, there's that feeling and then there's, and on the other hand, it's like, I think, I don't know, it's like audiences today, like with a movie like The Lighthouse, Like, I think audiences, like, embraced that movie. Like, it did very well Mm -hmm. for what a tiny film it was. And it's like, this movie is as experimental as that one. And it, you know, didn't, there wasn't really a place for it at the time. So, um, you know, the other hand, maybe because we're watching movies all the time and we can see any movie we want at any time, maybe if The Night of the Hunter had come out today it would have found yeah. more of an audience. No, I think that we're makes just sense more literate.
0: There would be more, uh, with as, uh, immersed in movies as we all are, that there's maybe more of an apple appetite for novelty or just something weird. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't think that there's like an overwhelming audience for that. Like when you do watch what makes the top hundred films of the year box office or something like that, but there is at least, you know, an established community of, uh, mm-hmm. Something you know, people that are going to appreciate like the lighthouse, for example, or, or something. But, yeah, it's it know. is
2: interesting because you know the lighthouse. It exists in our minds as. I mean, I think like the lighthouse sort of takes up as much, space in my brain as any of the other, popular movies from two thousand nineteen. Mm-hmm. But it only made it made under twenty million dollars. Oh no yeah bigger okay no it's it was made for four and it made 20 i mean so okay it it made money um but it's just interesting thinking about also just the way things are communicated to us like people were talking about it and they were excited but that didn't necessarily translate to you know ticket sales um wait are
0: you telling me that me putting it at number three
2: on my list of best movies of the year didn't give them a 20 million dollar bump shocking no <laughs> um but yeah i don't know i think i think that's i think that's kind of interesting like that people actually seeing something doesn't necessarily um have anything to do or have you know the biggest impact on its you know where where it sits in culture and i mean my grandma doesn't know what the lighthouse is so actually yeah. she does like she does love it.
1: your grandma does my grandma <laughs> does
2: because she loves she <laughs> she loves badison so that's why oh, nice.
1: Uh. i nice i I think it's cool that whenever I watch a movie like this, that has like a really good rip, because I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm the most sophisticated film watcher. I'm not really a big fan of like very experimental movies. I would say, Um, and this is a pretty fucking experimental movie. Like this is one of. I would imagine that if we were to go to go through, like, you know, top one hundred lists, and this that this would be one of the weirdest movies. Yeah, <laughs> that's on the list, and I, it's cool to me to imagine a bunch of people liking this and like recognizing it as like a perfect movie, um, even though it is very, very, very weird, very weird, very. And not just weird in like a arty way, but weird in like, like the sounds that Robert Mitchum is making are yeah. like very weird and funny and silly and goofy. Um, and there's it, it's it, it reminded me a little bit this time of like because I was also thinking of doing a triple that was like perfect movies, but then I was like, that would be really boring probably. <laughs> but one of the ones I was gonna put on it was like this and like the piano and peeping Tom, I think was the idea. <laughs> um and it's weird is like piano also has that has like underwater shots of like a lady like, you know, like tied tied down and um I've
0: never seen the piano. A, Me neither. Oh
1: piano's I think piano's piano piano's one of my favorite movies. Interesting. Um
2: from the 90s but it's also
1: very weird it has a yeah it has a okay. silent you know silent lead character like there's very little talking in it really hmm. um i don't know what i'm saying other than that just like such such a weird movie even reading like criticism from the time it's not like there wasn't like a huge backlash didn't get like a horrible critical response a lot of people were like this is like sort of promising but it's too bad that it's you know it's, so pretentious, yeah. kind of. Um It is weird. But like this just got released, like this got <laughs> that this got made, that it got that it got released, that it got critically rediscovered, that it's on like a top top one hundred list now, even though it's so strange. Um and it's also so like sophisticated, like psychologically, like the part at the end where he's seeing Robert the boy is seeing Robert Mitchum like tied up by the police and he starts crying and saying don't don't yeah you know like like he did with his dad i'm like that's so like insightful um (laughs) like it feels like you just very sad like on a very gut level like connect to that um yeah it's really really good i think it it is cool
2: just backtracking a little bit i do think it is kind of cool how tv can kind of save movies sometimes yeah like more times than not it's it's you know it's where bad movies go to live but um it's very interesting that like and it's all it's purely business right like it's all just licensing fees like night of the hunter was did poor, poorly at the box office so the networks were able to purchase it for nothing uh so but uh but that's like that's, that's the same thing that happened to uh, like shawshank redemption which is now mm-hmm. considered in america to be one of the best movies ever made um And that, you know, that's thanks to, you know, replaying it on TNT for 20 years straight.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And like, um, I'm obviously, I guess for the listeners, I'm, I would say a majority of my film knowledge is horror films. I've just always followed. I've always been drawn to horror movies and all that type of stuff. But that's very much the case with like the Universal Monster movies and just a lot of movies that were all packaged together in this kind of like shock theater program. Where they would show like, um, you know, Bride of Frankenstein on a Saturday night or, you know, just whatever. And like little kids would watch them growing up in like this, you know, 50s, 60s and the end of the 70s, I think. Um, and they were all just part of this package. And I don't think they were all universal or I don't remember if they, like, it was RKO and universal. But, you know, things from, you know, big names like Frankenstein, King Kong, Dracula, whatever to even things like I would, the one I mentioned earlier, like Island of Lost Souls, and then just a lot of really good horror movies, but that they were kind of just B movies of their time. And then they ran, you know, repeatedly on TV. And then people were just like, oh, like I love Island of Lost Souls. And like Devo, for example, drew like, like they were huge fans of Island of Lost Souls because they all grew up watching it on, you know, black and white TV or who, you know, some little color TV or whatever in their basement. And uh, yeah, so Night of the Hunter i think is a horror movie i don't know that everybody would classify it as one but you know because it could be a noir it could be a, a thriller or a drama i suppose but yeah uh, but yeah i don't know i guess I think I was trying st- to say,
2: stylistically it's a horror movie for sure
0: yeah but I, like i would i would kind of lump it in that like it would be totally appropriate to like watch for your halloween marathon or you know that kind of thing
2: yeah but, um, yeah i think that's i think that's fair Yeah,
0: but I could see people being reluctant to like stamp that on it, But which whatever. But I guess I was I was trying to say is like, I wonder if there's something that TV effect that you talked about is sort of extra with these horror movies that are generally low. uh, But the critics aren't necessarily like eating them up. But then if they run repeatedly on television, like, you know, kids are drawn to scary stuff, like stuff will scare you when you're a kid that as an adult doesn't even you don't even register. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. I wondered if what, there's what
2: are well, what are some horror movies that you can think? Because I I'm not sure I agree with For like what ho- with horror movies being saved by TV. I feel like horror movies, well, a I feel like they usually just make their money back because they're so cheap to make. But also, I think they were saved more by like uh, like via like rental like than anything.
0: Well, but going a little further back though, so like before. before the 80s like there was like so there was shock theater and then there was son of shock and it was basically like the late night monster movie that would air on your you know your local you know uhf station or something like that okay okay i see what you're saying yeah so more for like the generation just a little older or even so maybe gen x maybe even whatever was before them was that the boomers i don't know who came after the boomers anyways um i think for them it sort of acted as uh both like preserving like film preservation in the sense that it was lifting these things to the status of good or even classic movies for that generation of people who would go on to be like Roger Ebert or Martin Scorsese or um, you know, that type of thing. And so I think that kind of lifted a lot of B movies. And I mean, same thing with film noir really like, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think I think detour, um, which is now it just got put out in the criterion collection. Like everybody talks about how great detour is. But I look, you know, on the doc on the uh, Blu-ray, the background of it is that it was kind of like, I think, not well regarded at the time and then pretty well forgotten, you know, to the point of being almost like a lost film. Um, And uh, but, you know, it would run on TV like, you know, they would run these, you know, uh, 16 millimeter reels around all the different stations and stuff. And people just kind of picked up on it and were like, oh, like, oh, I love detour. Or I think Carnival of Souls is another one where it was like a nothing movie um you know like a, a not even like maybe like a sea movie uh, or something um and uh it again it's on the criterion island of lost souls criterion is kind of my uh i an unfortunate or maybe i don't know a, a large portion of my knowledge of old movies comes from that but uh, yeah just all these are movies that i think were really lifted up through that uh i don't know chain or that process or whatever but anyway anyhow, um no grand point but, and I don't know that that was exactly the case for Night of the Hunter. It might have even been more of a cult object. Uh, like maybe it was like little film societies or,
2: you know, campus screenings that kind of won the audiences over. But, yeah, I've known about Night of the Hunter longer than it's existed in the Criterion collection. But uh, Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. But I, didn't, but I did watch this. I did get the Criterion Blu-ray. It's
0: beautiful. Yeah, it looks really nice. Yeah. I actually was kind of hoping that they haven't done any 4K discs yet, but I'm kind of waiting to see like what's coming be. Yeah, yeah coming. you know it, they'll, they'll do it eventually. But uh, it's coming yeah, we a... wa- I think
1: we watched the Criterion one, and it looked good, but it didn't like blow me.: away. It didn't blow
2: you.: <laughs> <laughs> That's nasty, dude. You're freaking nasty, anyhow.: I
1: wish people listening to this would be able to see your like pink headscarf <laughs> as you say that.
0: Is,
2: uh, <laughs> yeah, it fits.: What was that? Was it David Foster Wallace style? Yeah, life is about looking good and feeling good, and I'm doing both. Yeah, I
1: think I like um, Brechtian acting.
2: What is Brechtian acting? Tell the for the viewers at home what is Brechtian <laughs> acting. It sounds like a word you just made up.
1: <laughs> it's um,
0: Bertold Brecht is the uh, yeah yeah you know, the founder of the whole thing. I don't know. I mean, me the
1: easiest way to put it would be Nicolas Cage. Like that whole time when we were talking about Vampires Kiss, and we talked at length about like his acting and how it's not. Um, beholden to realism, like what we probably should have just said is it's Brechtian. <laughs> okay. Um. And I think that's very. I think Robert Mitchum in this movie is very Brechtian. So is yeah, it, but can
2: we can we break that down a little more? Because I don't. I still don't know what it means that, other than these. Well, people. Is it like extra, extra expressive?
1: The, I would. Yeah, I would say the overarching, um, like in the world of movies. Stanislavski like one right in terms of we think of acting as like Marlon Brando sure um for the most part and that uh, an acting performance is meant to replicate like and what we tend to reward at the Oscars or whatever is like who does the best job of replicating an authentic human experience in a movie uh Meryl Streep basically mm-hmm. um but Brecht in acting um, wants the audience to be aware of the distinction, um, th- be aware that they're watching a play, that they they don't, like Stanislavski's goal was like, to absorb the audience in the uh, world of the movie and move them that way. And Brecht thought that that was escapist. And so he, in weird, order to, yeah.
0: Because I think of, so you're, you're saying Mitchum was a, a Brechtian style or for mm-hmm. this picture.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's interesting though, because I feel like his performance is for me a m- more involving than maybe a more realistic performance would have been, for example, the scream that he gives off when the boat yes. is taken off. Uh, that, that seems a little like uh, shy of reality or whatever. It seems like extra mm-hmm. expressive compared to like what a, a real criminal might have, you know, yelped. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting that the Stanislavski method would be consider or would be people would think that that would be more involving when for me. Well, this is it hits me it dep- in, in the emotion. Right. I think
1: it depends yeah. on how you use involving, because I think for. In the Stanislavski method, that means losing the sense that you're watching a movie, which I don't think is exactly what you're saying, hmm. like. It, it is more emotionally – both are attempting to be, like, shocking and, like, emotionally moving for the audience. Okay. But I think I think Brecht thought that that, that was kind of a, um incomplete move because the next thing he wanted was for you to, like, make whatever kind of political connection he wanted you to make. And in order to do that, you had to be aware that what you were watching was not reality. Okay. Um, and think about the fact, think about your position as an audience member watching this.
0: Oh, is this Marxist claptrap? <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> yeah, probably. Ah, great. Um, but when, you know, if you think about like, like if I would, you know, if Scorsese remade this instead of Cape Fear and put like Nicolas Cage in the role of the preacher, mm. like that would make a lot of sense, I think. <laughs> Um, like that's the, it's certainly, that's like the most Robert Mitchum-y actor I can think of today, probably.
0: I don't, yeah, I don't know who I, who I would pop in that role, just as a thought experiment. But yeah.
1: Who it would actually end up being is, um, John Hamm, probably. And then it would, it wouldn't be very good. See, I'm, I'm gonna I, say.
0: yeah. <laughs> what about, and I, I guess I'm not, uh, I guess this is what everybody would say. Because he's so great and everybody loves him and stuff. But, like, I could see Daniel Day-Lewis doing this really well. Like, because he is scary but handsome. But, like, also that uh, big kind of actor. Um,
1: you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, one of his favorite actors was Charles Lawton.
0: Oh, well, there you go. It all comes together.
1: Yeah. Who is Pepe Sylvia? They didn't. Um, someone was saying, like. I think it might have been Robert Mitchum. I don't. I don't remember. But like, I think Charles Lawton specifically wanted him because he was like sexy, which like, okay. I. It's so. It, and some people were like, he's. You want, why do you want the? Why do you want the preacher to be hot? And, he, and then Lawton said something like, you can't sell God without sex appeal or something. <laughs> um, but I think it's so much. Again, it's like such a. It's so much more psychologically deep that like, he's like a attractive person. His voice is so, his singing voice is so good and like beautiful. Um, and then just like the fact that he like, it's such a weird element that like, um, like he won't have sex with Shelley Winters, <laughs> like, like that. Like, when do you see that in a movie? Even, even now, it's such like a strange element for yeah. like a, a man to like reject.
2: Yeah, they do that. A in, woman. They do that in Bonnie and Clyde, and it's sort of it's yes. like this weird thing that like it's it's hard to like really get your head around.
0: Yeah, because I I feel like now even a hater of women in a film would be. Still using them for sex, but then just like also mm-hmm. murdering them as opposed to like hating them so deeply that he won't even like touch them or, you know, like.
1: Uh... Yeah, well, like I love I mean, it tells you so much about his character. Just that opening of him, you know, watching a dancer and then like yeah. <laughs> wanting to kill her. I'm like, that's <laughs> such a what a neat little shorthand for her. this dude's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. I love the part, I love when um, Pearl is making paper dolls or whatever out of the money. Yeah. Like, and then when he comes up and she's like, she's like you're going to be mad at me. Yeah,
0: yeah. I did bad. <laughs> like she
1: knows that she's, <laughs> what she, she shouldn't be doing that, but she's just sitting there. It feels so, like, accurate to what a little kid would do. Yeah, for sure. Um, while also being just, like, a great image. <laughs>
0: We could cut this if you don't have anything to say. But Mm -hmm. being the biblical expert of the podcast, uh, were there any? It's debatable. That's true. (laughs) Forget I forget Andrew also, Uh, (laughs) the divinity school. Um, The yeah, I don't know. Is there anything? So I don't. I see that there are references, and obviously, I mean, there's lots and lots of references to biblical things in the movie uh do you feel like there is something extra interesting to point out or something because this doesn't uh, as far as i know this doesn't just follow like one biblical story which a lot of times Mm -mm. uh you know they'll pull from you know the story of cain and abel but it's retold in the you know great depression or whatever um but yeah so i don't know what do you make of kind of the religious themes in the film or or do you yeah do you have anything to say about that or
1: Um, I just, I think a very, um, I think it's using it to make its point about, like, good versus evil. That, Uh um, you know, what's been said for centuries is that, like, nobody quotes the Bible better than the devil. Um, You know, the devil knows his Bible, all that kind of thing. And I think that there's something, what stood out to me on this watch was... I guess the way that the film techniques used immediately established that like Lillian Gish is good and Robert Mitchum is bad. And Mm -hmm. they both just talk about the Bible constantly and they're both correct. Like there's nothing that Robert Mitchum is saying (laughs) that's wrong, but one's one is an evil motherfucker and the other person is like a really good person. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know, I thought it was like I think it's a more interesting take on hypocrisy than to just have the fact that they are both very very religious figures um as opposed to just him kind of pretending to be. Yeah. And then it's but then it's also weird because like clearly he does I mean the way that he is about women like it also seems like he genuinely does believe some of what he's saying like you know i don't yeah. know you
0: d- yeah you never quite know uh how uh, how so obviously his interpretation is questionable but you never know how sincerely <laughs> like spiritual or how sincere of a believer well
1: he, is. he he seems to very much use it to uh uphold what he wants to do.
0: Yeah. Naturally. Right. Yeah. Which is like, like the uh, kill women. When Yeah. Well, and then when he, <laughs> uh, I can't remember if this is the only time we see him pray or not. I, we see him speak to God all the time, but he has his hand. He's in the, behind the prison bars and mm-hmm. they're taking, you know, John's uh, dad off to be killed. I think. And he's got the, like the switchblade in between his praying hands. And he's like, yeah. dear Lord, you sure knew what you were doing when you uh, sent me to this prison today or, you know, something like mm-hmm. that. So yeah, very much just self-justifying like you definitely want me to kill this yeah. lady and take her money <laughs> um
1: right <laughs> um,
2: there but. is something kind of, there is a little bit of a disconnect though for me it's it's, it's why does the money matter to him so much if but that he doesn't seem motivated by money he does say
0: something about opening his own tabernacle right sure something like
1: that <laughs> i think it's I, I thought about that, too, and I do kind of feel like the money is almost, like, because it's based on, like, a real guy who killed a bunch of people. And I, and, I mean, first of all, I don't think killing single moms is a good way to get rich. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but, like, it almost, it does feel like the money is a stand-in for something, for some other cry. <laughs> Or something like the money makes it make sense for him to be chasing the children when maybe he couldn't just like want to kill children. Like, I don't I felt that way watching it this time. I was like, yeah, why does this this guy doesn't seem like someone who would he's not in it for like he didn't kill Shelly Winters for any reason having to do with the money. I don't think. Yeah. Um. I mean, I guess because she realized she caught him trying to kill the kids or something, but she didn't care. <laughs> like she clearly, her, her loyalties lay with him, right? Um. So I don't know. i was almost just like, is he's? I mean, is it like okay? He's a pedophile, but he what, what he wants is the money <laughs> because this is a movie from 1955 or something.
0: Okay. See, I don't get pedophile vibes from him. I don't either. But that's interesting.
1: Necessarily, either get it from the performance or anything, but I'm just like because it, it seems it just seems like okay, if this movie was made today, he'd just be a pedophile or something.
0: Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta make him as bad as he can, extra bad,
1: like he's a, he is a child hunter. There, you know, right. there's that.
0: There, well, yes, so that's true. <laughs> I guess we're splitting hairs here. He doesn't want to,
2: <laughs> he wants to murder them.
0: <laughs> um... A bad guy we can all agree on that but yeah yeah um anyhow uh interesting yeah okay well yeah and that was just something i've never like quite been able to pull all the the <laughs> biblical threads together to be like you know here's what something means or what they're going for and so i was curious kind of like what you make of it or if it's just like oh like this is you know it's based on a true story but it's also like a total retelling of this you know bible story that i just don't know about
1: well um. it also made me it made me laugh this time i'm kind of annoyed i think every time i watch this movie by how little of the moses story they act like they act like lily gish told moses entire story when all she says is like Kids, do you know who the baby was that they found in a boat? And they're like, "No," it says it was Moses. Yeah. And then, <laughs> good night. Yeah, like now go to bed. <laughs> and I'm like, have her give her a speech where she talks about Moses or whatever. Yeah, but the scene where the where the little boy like is like kind of holding her hand is so sweet, so yeah. nice. And, like, there's stuff, too, where he was, like, get us both an apple. And the way he puts the apple in her lap, I'm like, this feels like a Bible thing, kind of, or something. Yeah. Um, (sighs) A lot of themes. Yeah. A lot of of imagery. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Love the themes. All right. Well, if we don't have any (laughs) other notes, I think I've read through all of mine. Uh, So... That would make it time for either Little Stragglers, or if there's no Little Stragglers, it's time for the cruise minute. Oh, baby.
1: Um, I have a little straggler, which is I have just learned that Robert Mitchum did have a music career, and I'm going to be looking into that. Oh, I saw that.
0: that. He made a
2: Calypso album.
1: That's what I'm looking at. Yeah.
2: Wow. Okay. That's awesome.
1: Have you guys heard any of John Travolta's music other than like Grease?
2: I've um, only heard that song he did like ten years ago with <sighs> Olivia Newton-John, where they made that really terrible music video in like his backyard.
1: Um, yeah, with his plane. Um, <laughs> so, he had like so a, good. The same time that like Grease was number one on the Billboard charts, like he had an album that was like number three hundred on the Billboard charts. Or whatever. because like, there, there was just a time. When he was such hot shit that it was like put out a fucking album of him, like you know they used to do that where it's like it yeah. didn't matter if you could sing or whatever, but like um,
2: now that's just all music. <laughs> I think I think yeah, they yeah. I think they st- <laughs> I think they still do that. Yeah,
1: he has a cover of "It Had to Be You" that I that I enjoy listening to. Huh. Like it's not good, but I like thinking about how it's John Travolta. <laughs> Um, I would use it in a movie if I ever made. If I ever made like a movie like Night of the Hunter, I would definitely put John Travolta's "It Had to Be You" in it.
0: Kit, this is the Cruise minute. This is not the Travolta okay. minute.
1: I thought we were in little stragglers.
0: Oh yeah, we're in the little stragglers. Um. Well then, yes. Uh, are there any other any other little <laughs> <other> stragglers? <laughs> I got nothing. I'm trying to keep this train on the rails.
2: I just want to. I guess I would just. I you know. I think this one was a little hard to talk about, partly just because of the break we took, but this movie was really, really, really good. So if anybody listens to this and gets to the end and is like, But should I watch this? The answer is yes, you should watch this. Like I was think I was like thinking about all the all the movies we've watched, and this is probably in my top five that we've done from the podcast where I'm just like, This movie was great. Yeah. Um it's just it's not as fresh in my mind, but I, I loved it. Yeah.
0: No, definitely. And I think, yeah, I agree. It's a great, great film. I think part of why I had a hard time talking about it, other than, as you mentioned, we've kind of been off for a month, but um, it's just a really simple movie in some ways. Like You're totally right. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's hard to dig in or, you know. like there's it
1: Honestly, it reminded me of, like, when I went back at the beginning of a pandemic, I think when I was watching a bunch of uh, Shelley Duvall's Fairytale Theater, mm. where it was like, these are very, this, it's a very, like, fairy tale kind of story.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: That's difficult to talk about.
0: I'm kind of curious to read the book, too. I've never really thought about reading it before. Yeah. But after watching it this time, I was like, I bet it's good. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Anyhow. um, Also, if you've made it this far into the podcast and haven't watched the movie, sorry for all the spoilers. Uh, but yeah, Andrew's right. You should definitely go watch it now. Um, but uh, yeah, Cruise Minute. Let's do it.
2: Um, I've got one, which I thought was cute. Uh, so Palm Palm is that how you say her name? Mm-hmm. Okay. She anyway, she's in, she's in the new Mission Impossible, and uh, she put out this really cute music video, and uh, it's a diss track for aimed at Chris Hemsworth, um, and it. The way it like, there's a point, it's mostly just her in Venice while they're shooting Mission Impossible 7. There's a point where, like, the camera pulls out after she's said something at Chris Hemsworth, and it's just like it pulls away and it goes over Tom Cruise's shoulder, and then Tom Cruise is just staring into the camera, and then she and Palm is winking over his shoulder, and it's a very cute shot. But it just like, I was just thinking about it, and I was like, that is a very good diss right there. Whatever you said, punctuating it with Tom Cruise staring at you is <laughs> very effective. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's that's what I got.
1: How do I watch that? Oh, Trash it, Talk. Okay, I found yeah. it. Um, I saw a video on Reddit last night that was somebody showing him memes with Tom Cruise in a, like, a uh, junket interview and him laughing at the memes. And <laughs> it, I couldn't, I just wanted to show it to you guys and just be like, is this real? Like, is he really laughing? Is he being weird? Like, I can't tell. Like, I can't tell if he actually thinks it's <laughs> hilarious or he just knew that he needed to laugh really hard at this.
2: Oh, no. Probably
1: the latter. Probably. I don't know. You'll have to see.
2: <laughs> I feel like I'll be able to tell. We know Tom. Mm-hmm.
0: He's our good good friend.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What do you got, Mike? I well, I, the only creeps on, thing dude. I, popping into my, my mind is I rewatched the Matt Lauer interview from like, mm-hmm. I don't know, early 2000s or so. Mid to, uh-huh. Mid-2000s. Um, uh-huh. And it came, I don't even remember where it came up, if it was Reddit or what. But like, yeah, I just kind of rewatched, I don't know, a couple minutes of it. I don't think I watched the whole thing. But uh, he, because he really got dragged for that, if I recall, it was about Brooke Shields and like postpartum. And I feel depression. like you
1: don't think it was that bad.
0: You know, <laughs> again, <laughs> I didn't watch the whole thing, but I mean, the stuff he was talking about, like uh, maybe history is going to prove the Scientologists right on <laughs> the uh, just the mass distribution of uh, pharmaceutical uh, drugs to children. See, I think I kind of wonder I where think we're something, at. Something
1: someone can say something. I think that's a pretty typical uh, technique of cults, right? Is like to put something true, but the reason they're saying it is insane.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, well, so most specifically, though, he was, uh, was, and I I also, I think he was, he was saying, like, the reason I'm, I don't remember what he had originally said that he was getting heat for, but said this like actually like i care about Brooke shields like I, I i don't want her to feel bad i do want her to feel better so like that's that's good that all checks out but then also just like i was thinking about like when i was in high school which would have been around this time i think i was in college or high school at that point and like i don't know i i wonder daily like like so we now have we were the guinea pigs for giving everybody ritalin and mm-hmm. stuff like that and like antidepressants and just all of these like psychoactive I, drugs and i took it yeah, Are you Ritalin, or yeah, either way. Ritalin okay. did not did not do me any favors. Yeah, so I don't know, and it's, I mean, I have a, you know, I know people who have struggled with Adderall uh, and things like that, and so, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like you look around at people in the culture today, and it's like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have heavily medicated and drugged an entire generation of people. But that's my cruise minute, so. I was, He, was, he I was
1: saying that Brooke Shields had, like, very severe um postpartum depression yeah. where she was like thinking about killing her baby okay um and he was saying that it was wrong for her to be treated for them
0: yeah no and i should that. also say I guess say, she
1: could have should have killed her baby i don't know
0: right no i mean <laughs> um i should also say i know people who have benefited from the use of these drugs as well mm-hmm. so i'm not necessarily like taking a stand either way but i was watching it, i was just like oh so this was like Stop the presses in 2004, and I'm just comparing think, it to now, where it's like very different world.
1: I think again, the thing I don't th- I don't think people were I don't think it was the content of what he was saying though that was the reason. I think it was like because the thing people remember from that interview is your glib, Matt, your glib. And right. I also think that time has not also, been kind to Matt news journalism huh? I, but when I, I watch when I watch that now, I also think like man like Matt Lauer was like a professional interviewer like it's very I find so many people who are like like supposedly um, I mean
2: kind of he was on Good Morning America but I mean like supposedly
1: like Larry King is like this great interviewer and you watch a Larry King interviewer like this is terrible like (laughs) it's just weird like (laughs) whenever I see like it reminded it reminds me of like the other night like we oh we were watching like while I've been sick, we've been watching a bunch of British television. Um and we were seeing commercials and like for for British television. And like, okay, on the one hand they're British, so, like they are weird. But it's also just like we never see commercials anymore. And so like like just watching commercials, I'm like, holy shit, they still do this? Like just watching like a commercial for a department store. And I'm like, this is like <laughs> So fucking weird that this is a thing. And I feel that way maybe about morning news too, where like you go back and you watch a clip from morning news and you're like, this is how everyone used to fucking watch this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: terrible. They still terrible.
0: do those <laughs> shows,
2: by the way. They do. It's I
1: know, very but like nobody's watching them. Um
0: Yeah, I don't know. Plus, here we are, twenty twenty. Who would you rather hang out with for a day? Matt Lauer <laughs> or Tom Cruise? Wow! Well, well, yeah,
1: one of them is more likely to lock Tom you first. in a room. Was there? Are you implying that there was a time where the answer would have been Matt Lauer? Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> that's true.
2: But yeah.
0: So, anyhow, that is what I have got. Are we all done?
1: You know that British people have just like fifty-five versions of the same fucking show, which is like a panel show that is ostensibly a game of some kind. Yes. But, like, it's all the same show, and it's just really the panelists. And all the people who are panelists are presenters of the other TV shows. Yes. So it's, so it's just, like, put, you know, in, like, a yeah. boggle thing, like, mixing up the people that you have on the panel.
2: Oh. Well, Brit- Britain is a—if is a, you think about just the in terms of size and population, it's much smaller than the United States. So they they have a much smaller— uh, yeah. Pool of celebrities to pull from, and also they are less cool.
0: That is mm-hmm. true. I have found British people to be very, uh, a lot less cool than Americans, and then just in general, I would say uncool.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: I've been watching also, I'm, so what the main show that I'm into, like I've watched other ones, but The Big Fat Quiz of the Year is the one I watch, and I'm watching it for Noel Fielding um, and, like, to a lesser extent, Richard Ayoade. Um Think about it this way.
2: Jeremy Clarkson is like. Right. Th- is what British people would say is probably their greatest export. And I mean, <laughs> come on.
1: But. I don't even there, know who it is. Are, there are. The the show is over two hours long.
2: Jesus Christ.
1: <laughs> it's just over two hours to the point that, like, the panelists are like, can we please go home? Yeah. Like, this... <laughs> and it's for Boxing Day. I will say, I'll say this for British people. Their Boxing Day programming we don't even have boxing day programming and theirs is like really pretty fun. And it makes me wish we did do stuff like that. Where What do you like, do
0: for boxing day programming
1: every year on box? What is they? What do they do?
0: I mean, what is boxing day programming? Is it like not Christmas movies or like
1: exactly? It's like, okay. Hey, this is where they kind of seem what they seem to do to me is it's like, there's just all these specials that like you could look forward to. Like, like, like I'm now looking forward to whatever the big fat quiz of the year is this year. You know, so I have something to look forward to the day after Christmas is like, I see. you know, or whatever that that dead week between Christmas and New Year's. They have a bunch of like traditions that you could look that like a TV special that happens once a year that you could look like. And that would be nice, I think. Okay. I think, you know, whereas like you're saying, we kind of just like keep playing Christmas movies, except you're kind of like you don't want to see Christmas movies like. Right. The moment Christmas is over, it's, it's it just
0: like kind when, of bums uh, you out. It's like when I rewatched "Can't Hardly Wait" as a thirty-year-old. It's just like, ah, oh, this just isn't isn't the same.
1: <laughs> no. I only, th- I think <laughs> I only saw that in my twenties. Like for some reason, like back when you know, I, I, that movie's not very good, is it? I
2: well, I, I think, should say I, th- I love "Can't Hardly Wait." But I think it's good. I just watched it a few few months ago. It's a very
0: good teen comedy. It's mm-hmm. probably one of like the the ones I would point to as like the best '90s teen comedy. Um, really. However, watching a teen comedy as a 15-year-old is a fun experience. Can be a fun experience. Watching it as a 30, 35-year-old makes you 50, a pervert. Well, that well, there's that element. But I also just, it's just not. There's not the fun thrill of like, you know. It's like I don't know. Is he gonna get with Amanda? Is he not? It's like, it's <laughs> I'm just like all I'm thinking about is my yeah,
2: taxes. You know. That's right. <laughs> Anyhow.
1: It's weird how. In, like, almost the same year. And what if my wife wants it? Jennifer, <laughs> Jennifer Love Hewitt played that character. And then she also played in the condom movie, right? She plays, like, she's has brown hair. Uh-huh. So she's not the it girl.
0: I think that that was <laughs> the year before. But, yes, it is. And then, I mean, right around the same time she's in, I know you did last summer. Very, uh, not did really... I tell
1: you guys my favorite trivia I just learned about? I know what you did last summer that you probably already know, Mike. Oh, what so is you it? Know famous. The scene in that movie where she's in the street screaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, she's like, come. What me. do you want? What are you coming, Come and me. Come kill me. Or yeah. whatever she's doing. Do you know the backstory of that scene? No. Okay. I can't even remember where I heard this now, but it blew my mind. But that, <laughs> that scene was directed by a kid, a teenager, who won a contest to come direct a scene in a Hollywood movie.
2: <laughs> that is awesome. That is <laughs> so cool. Like a,
1: a thing they used to give away on cereal boxes, I guess. But or that's something. like
2: that's <laughs> arguably an important part of the movie too. Like that's That's yeah. what
1: she she said at the at the time, like Jennifer Love Hewitt talks about how she was like this is so fucking stupid. Like, not only are they just letting some random guy <laughs> direct the movie, but he wants me to just go in the street and scream for the guy to come kill me or whatever. Okay, because here's she's the like, thing. Oh, it's like the best scene in the movie. When you yeah. when you when you
2: initially told me this, I was like, okay, so they probably had some kid come and he got to say action and cut or whatever when somebody tapped him on the shoulder. Yeah. But the but the fact that she is like he directed it. Yeah, it sounds like this is like his brainchild. And and that little boy grew up to be none other than Guillermo del Toro. There we go, right there. There it is. I oh, the two things. that's actually. amazing. That I want to is... know more about that. There's a book
0: in there somewhere. I got to know. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two things, though. There, that is one of the best scenes in the movie. And knowing that it was a teenager, is it fair to assume it was a teenage boy? I don't know. Yes. Yes, Okay. Uh, that is also one of the only bird's eye views of Jennifer Love Hewitt's press that you get in the film. So maybe we should be letting
2: teenage boys direct a few more movies. That's amazing. That is great. trivia. That is really great trivia. I got to know more about that. There's got to be like, you know, like the back of a cereal box somewhere that has like the competition on it. it, it, I think I got to see this.
1: I think it came. I can't remember, but I was at, we were at our friend's house and, I think it came up because we were talking about. <laughs> we were talking about those, like, student film Coke commercials that they do oh, in front of. Oh, God, those, of are so yeah.
2: like, those are so bad. Those are so bad.
1: In the 90s, if you won a contest like this, you got to make a just,
2: movie. You got to
1: just come to the set of a film and just shoot whatever <laughs> the fuck you wanted. Oh,
2: my God. Just imagine. 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 <laughs> I mean, really, I feel bad for uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Like, there she is. She's finally made it in Hollywood. (laughs) It's her first big starring role. And some, like, greasy-faced 14-year-old kid is calling the shots. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. I'm jealous of that kid. Me too. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Making movie history. Okay.
0: (laughs) I will finish up. Thanks for joining us tonight. But wait, Mike.
2: What is it? Andrew, I'm
0: trying to finish the freaking show over here. But
2: the listeners want to know what we're gonna talk about next week. To hell with the listeners.
0: Whoa, dude. I'm done. Oh, Whoa. Okay, all right. We'll Those are
2: our only money. source of revenue.
0: That's also both of kids' parents, so. That's the <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So, uh, thank you for joining us tonight, folks. Please join us next week for. I did not look up the year, but we're gonna watch Stanley Tucci's Big Night. I believe is that the next one. Mm-hmm. Yes so yeah join us we're gonna we're gonna have some we're gonna actually eat while we discuss the film. never heard uh, of it you never heard of it Kit's been telling you to watch it for years oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um the uh uh, yeah, that's it. that's uh, what we're doing next week. And then also I will say that Slow Motion Triple Feature was recorded in front of a live studio audience who hates our guts. Special thanks to our producer, Lee, the man in the booth who makes us sound great. If you'd like to contact us, please do so at slowmotiontriple at gmail.com. you.